Welcome back, everyone. It is Shelly and Adam with Marketing Monday, and we have this lovely, lovely woman on. Sarah, is it Jameson? Is that how you say your last name? Correct. Perfect. Awesome. Uh, nailed it. By the way, I don't know how I didn't pick up on this, but last week's episode featuring um, Paige from what was the business again, Shelly? Sorry, I'm, it's, I'm blanking on it right now because I'm coming up. Uh, with the phone last off. week was Paige Sarda with Reach. Okay, Reach. Someone pointed this out after the fact, and I don't know how I didn't catch it, but I didn't make the connection that we were talking to someone who sells books and has a literacy program, and her first name is Paige. Oh, uh, you know what? So I guess I don't know that I've ever made that connection either. Could have done so much with that right there. That's really funny. So guys, if you don't know what Marketing Monday is, it is we bring people on that have maybe some questions or want some advice on marketing and or um, because I saw some, one of my colleagues um, commented on your lovely post that you tagged me in, which is we sometimes like to talk to ex experts that are dominating their field and get their feedback on certain things too. It doesn't always have to be about us um, giving feedback. And so today we have Sarah on who, Sarah, um, is it a local um, boutique and apothecary? Correct? Yes. Okay. Um, so Sarah owns um, a local um, boutique and apothecary. <coughs> um, why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit of background on you, Sarah? Like, why did you want to start a boutique or apothecary? How do you and Shelly know each other? Because everyone seems to know Shelly. So let's, let's, get the whole, let's get the whole business. Uh, my name is Sarah Jamison. And for better or worse, retail is where I landed. I graduated from college in December of 2007 um, with a degree in broadcast journalism. Mm -hmm. I minored in political science and economics. Retail was never on my radar. Um, after I moved back to Sioux Falls, I found myself working for Target and it, retail kind of resonated. It stuck and there were many facets that really um, just spoke to me. And from there, I had another wonderful opportunity to work for a sporting goods retailer you may have heard of, Shields nope. in Sioux Falls. <laughs> well, um, they're located in Sioux Falls and I think have 26 or 27 other locations. Small but, operation. Um, I had the opportunity to manage their women's athletic clothing and work on their corporate buying team for women's athletic clothing and got kind of the bulk of my buying experience and product management there. Um, after my son was born and wanting to create, I just craved a little more flexibility. I was struggling more with the working every weekend and my husband who also works at Shields um, works retail too. So scheduling was hard and time is important to me. So in an effort to find more of that and work in an environment that just felt like a better fit to me. I started working at Elegant Mommy and I had the opportunity to work there and kind of the tail end of Shelly's uh, ownership there. And from there, I had always in the back of my mind kind of wondered what could it look like to own my own shop. Is that something I could do? Um, 
And in August of 2018, I just decided to focus full time on making that happen and starting a business plan brainstorming um, because I, I really wanted an opportunity to do retail in a way that aligned with my values. And uh, my husband and my family and I are increasingly um, in, in tune with sustainability and ethics and productions and uh, product supply chains. And we also typically um, aim ourselves towards a chemical-free lifestyle. And so I thought, what if I created the type of shop or boutique that I would want to shop at? Uh, and Tara Shepherd evolved from that. And it was pretty fast and furious from that um, deciding to focus on developing that plan in August of 2018. Uh, I secured the space that we're now located in in December. And where? Uh, on Phillips Avenue in downtown Sioux Falls. We're Very at 2018 nice. South Phillips Avenue and opened at the end of April. And so opened and got my loan throughout uh, the government shutdown. And that made things interesting with getting an SBA loan to start the business and then celebrating our one year anniversary in a global pandemic. Hmm. That's a fun time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you haven't, you haven't really been doing this, like as far as owning your own shop, I mean, um, for very long. Um, no. <laughs> so you know, obviously there's tons and tons of challenges that go into that other, you know, kind of outside of marketing. So I feel like, so what about marketing um, and you coming onto the show and everything like that is something that's kind of like at the top of your mind right now versus most people, it seems like marketing's kind of like number five or six down their list. Like they just, there's so many things in the retail world, especially around this time of year. Um that they're trying to like get figured out and get their ducks in a row and everything like that. What, what about marketing do you feel like is important for you at, at this stage of the game? Building relationships and that's fostering existing relationships, but also finding new relationships. And I really like the idea of focusing on that relationship building. Cause I think when you do, and the relationship building rather than selling, cause I think mm -hmm. sometimes it's really easy to think of marketing as like, let's sell stuff. But I think if you build relationships well and you serve people well, then that is an inevitable, the sales follow inevitably. Yep, totally um, agree. So just, cause we're still establishing so many new relationships. We meet new people every day, but then also really nourishing those once we have them to continue to grow. So, um, kind of jumping, kind of jumping right into it because since we're on this subject part of it, I totally agree with you. I think marketing is, should be way more about relationship building and stuff like that. And sales absolutely do follow mm -hmm. afterwards. Now it's a little bit longer game plan. You know, it's something that you can forget about the rest of 2020 and you can probably not really count on 21 to directly correlate um, relationship building to sales. That's, it just, it just doesn't, it typically is a longer timeline than that. However, I firmly believe, and nobody will, um, nobody will change my mind on this, that 
you that's how you build a much more rabid um fan base and um customer base than mm-hmm. over anything else than running like five dollar off coupon sales whatever like that, that that stuff's so flimsy and nobody really cares about it um and i'd like to point to Shelly's business, that's what Shelly did with Elegant Mommy. She built up a brand and a following and everything like that because she put out educational content around what Elegant Mommy was um, in, in the whole sphere of mommyism or whatever whatever you want to call it, just moms in general, and created a space for those women to come together and to talk about the challenges of motherhood and everything like that. That's what Shelly did really well. I did that with my detailing business. I created a sphere of education for car people that I, I recognized from very early on that the heavy do-it-yourselfers in the car world, they were never going to come to me anyways. But what I could do is provide educational content that then they could go about maintaining their own vehicles way better than um, if they didn't know that knowledge in the first place. And if they ever wanted something else, they had a local expert that they could come to and say, Hey, you know, I'm trying to do this and it's not really working. Like, what should I do? And I just say, Oh, do this, this, and this. And the reason why I would be willing to do that is because every family has that car person. Right. And then whenever you get together for Thanksgiving, Christmas or whatever, you know, inevitably you talk to like four people, you talk to the IT person of your family and you're like, Oh, I've got this problem with my phone. Like, do you think you can take a look at it, Jimmy? And then you talk to the car person and you know, it, it, there's like these six people that you always talk to at the family get togethers and they always have their moment of shining and the car person is always there. And, and guess what? If you go up and you talk to the car person, you're like, Oh, my car's interior is so hammered and like, or it's so disgusting. They're going to say, Hey, you should take it to Adam Huber's detailing. This guy really knows what he's talking about because you put out the educational content. So the reason why I bring all that up is because I think one of the best ways to do relationship building is to somehow become an authority in that space that you're trying to operate in. So if you wanted to get into talking about sustainability practices and like chemical free life and everything like that, how do you create the video series, the blog series, the posts and everything like that, that talks about that, that then you can become an expert in, which by the way, I would go ahead and tell you now, people's opinions on this vary but you're already busy enough in your first year to two years of business that this is going to already be pretty difficult to pull off i would actually hire um a ghostwriter ghost blogger or something like that to do article an article a week or two articles a week for you that it's going to be so easy for them to source this info from because this has already been written about thousands of times um now whether or not it's on the particular things that you want to talk about or believe in, you can always steer them in that direction. But this has already been pretty well covered um, by other people. And then they can create these blog posts for you, which you then you can put on your website. Then you can take out little snippets, put on your Facebook and Instagram. And then you can just talk about, like it can give you talking points to talk about on Facebook lives or whatever it might be. So I know that might seem like a lot of information to throw at you like all of a sudden, but what's your, what's your thoughts on that? Uh, it makes total sense. The hard thing for me is that's the part that's the part that fuels me. And that's the part that I want to be able to do more of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, logistically, it's finding help on the other stuff. 
I have entered every single piece of inventory that we sell and we have uh, inventory from over 70 brands. Like that doesn't fuel me. Yeah. Um, so I think finding help with those sort of things to free me up to do, like I, I majored in journalism. Um, I like, oh, yeah, okay. yep, I yep. want to write. Um, I studied advertising and broadcast production. So that's kind of a tough part where I am. And maybe it's something because everything that uh, is in our social media comes from me in first person. Um, so it feels like such a personal part of our brand, but it's also the part that really fuels me. Okay. Bring in data doesn't. So yep. Yep. Um, that's kind of the tricky part, but I agree with you 100%. And um, I finally got us on Pinterest and we do Perfect. have a blog on our website. Um, I think anything video is beyond me at this point, just because I don't know how <laughs> to do that. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I, I think right now finding more resources to use those things effectively is kind of where I'm like, cause I think Pinterest could be very valuable, um, as a search engine tool and yep. even utilizing some content that I've already created. Um, but it's, I don't really use Pinterest personally. So, okay. but how do I use it effectively for my business when I don't really know how people use it? So that's kind of where I'm like, I started using Instagram for my business too. So this has all been <laughs> a wild learning curve. Yep. Well, and there's, there can be a difference Sarah between creating the content and posting the content. And I think in your space, that might be something that's valuable to point out or to observe is that, you know, if you're, you want to create the content, right? Like mm -hmm. you want to create and educate. And I have a question pertaining to that, but I'll, I'll finish this thought first. But, you know, I, I think as far as creating that content, you could be the ghostwriter and somebody else can be scheduling it and optimizing and ads and all of that other kind of stuff. Yep. As far as a social media manager, as far as, you know, an, a virtual assistant that can, I mean, if you had a virtual assistant that could if you had very specific tasks as far as the social media management side of things, responding to the posts and and scheduling and optimizing times and all of that kind of stuff as well as inputting data and that kind of stuff like that's something that a virtual assistant could do a whole lot of that stuff if that appeals to you um but it, just knowing you i mean your uh your heart is clearly in the not in the the data side i mean you enjoy data and you're really good at it i think but the your passion is going to come out in educating people on living a healthier lifestyle in, you know, the, you know, your yoga practices and some of those kinds of things. You know, one of the things that stuck out to me in the first sentence, the first minute that you were on here was that, you know, you wanted to create a shop that you wanted to shop at. Mm -hmm. And I think that so many business owners resonate with that. And in the same token, that's, part of the difficulty that most retail store owners have is they create a store um, around, how do I say this? They create a, a business, not even a store necessarily, but they create a business that 
is based off of themselves as their customer avatar rather than based off of a customer avatar that they know is out there. And so sometimes it becomes really easy for business owners, it was for me, to just assume that other people knew what I already knew. And you start to overlook some of the things as the entryway about how you're acquiring those customers. Um, and so that was kind of one of my main questions that I was wondering from you is how have you or what struggles do you find to be the first to market in our area with what you're doing, right? Like you're certainly not first to market in boutique, right? Like no. there's a ton of boutiques in Sioux Falls, but you're definitely first to market in the sustainability fashion of a boutique, right? There's other sustainable businesses or other businesses that have focused on sustainable aspects you know, the co-op, Wayne and Mary's. When you say sustainable, my guess is that most people's minds go to the co-op, Wayne and Mary's, Palm, those kinds of places. And so being the first to market in that sustainable fashion, sustainable um, skincare, apothecary kind of stuff, how have you been, how, how are you creating? What are you doing to create that um, education as to why this is important in our area? Um, in our social media, we try, or I try to utilize uh, a lot of facts and figures um, in reference to sustainability and fashion. Fashion is one of the most uh, polluting industries in our world. And just using those things to try to at least get people's attention and focusing. I actually opened a store to question consumption, which sounds really counterintuitive. Um, but talking about that and talking about the fact that people buy more, 70% more than they did 10, just 10, 20 years ago, and they keep those goods for half as long. Um, so talking about sustainable habits and encouraging, giving people tangible ways to measure that. Um, so when people buy clothing in our store and they seem iffy, we ask people, can you imagine yourself wearing that article of clothing at least 30 times? Um, and we're really big on, then we don't push it. If you can't imagine yourself wearing it at least, and that's a minimum of 30 wears, then it's probably not the garment for you because we really want to encourage people to buy less often and invest in goods that are going to last and um, things that will become truly a part of their life and rebuilding that connection. We try to encourage people almost to like buy like your grandparents did. Um, or even like when I was a kid, we actually went back to school shopping or you bought things when you need them. Uh, and the way we buy is just transformed wildly. So a lot of facts and figures sharing the stories of our vendors, um, and then also realizing too that there's a balance between throwing too much at people because uh, we don't want it all to just, we don't want people to shut it out either. And so whether it's online or in store, we try to balance what we share so that it's also not with a fair amount of just fun and relationships so that people want to keep coming back. If that so with that being said, like, you know, you walk into a typical store, you walk into a, any other boutique downtown, right? Mm -hmm. And the assumption is 
the more you spend, the better you are. And typically when you say more you spend, that generally means, I should say better you are, the more you spend, the happier the store owner is. And, but typically that means walking up to the counter with 10 items, right? You're gonna pick out 10 things. Does that hold true in your store? Like, do you guys have an idea in your store of in order for us to be sustainable, we only want our customer to purchase three things each season. And that's our sales number goal. Maybe that's, um, maybe that's the way to think about it. But I, I guess I'm, I'm curious as to how that works from a sales team standpoint. Like, how do you train a sales team to not push sales if it's not necessary? And I think we come at it from a First, our customer is going to decide what they want to purchase and how they want to buy. But what we can do if someone's iffy on something, um, we will tell them about it. We will write down style names and we encourage people to let it simmer. Think about it. We share that like if do you see yourself wearing this at least 30 times, can you picture five different ways to wear it? And if they say no, then my team has, they are confident being like, I don't think that's the right thing for you. Um, and we have a lot of customers who will, because we also, a lot of our items come with an elevated price point. We have a lot of folks who will think about an item for a week or two and then come back and make that purchase. Um, so it's this balance between we don't want to sell at a fast fashion pace, expanding our reach so that it's broad enough, but still we have to balance serving our customers too. If there is something our customers are going to go across the street or across town and buy anyway, and they could have purchased from us and it was a fairly made good. It was an upcycled garment or like, we want to provide that as well. So it's like a balance. Like I'm um, running a business in a capitalist economy. Like right. I need to sell things, but I also make conscious decisions every day where my beginning margins aren't as high. Um, I need to balance profitability, but it's not my biggest goal. Um, I didn't do this to make $100,000 a year. It's not going to happen. Um, but how can I do it so the business is not only sustainable, but sustainable to me? So right now, I think a big part of that is expanding our reach um, and just adjusting how we, we buy in store too. But we don't limit what our customers can buy or anything like sure. that. Um, but we just make better buying decisions up front to reduce waste. I don't buy like multiples of garments. Um, I buy one of each size too to limit what I have as well. I don't know if that really answers, but it's a constant. There's no perfect way of doing it. Um, but margin, um, I see vastly different margins than I saw when I would buy for bigger retailers, mm -hmm. uh, because those big margins just don't exist. 
Um, but I also have more cushion because the items themselves are higher priced items. Yeah, it just, and that, I, I don't exactly know where, how, how a business runs like that. Like it's, it's such a different concept, I think, to how anybody else in this town is running. And I think it's a really brave choice that's made um, to run and be different, I guess, is the, where I'm going. Big part of that too is the reason that I have our consumable goods or the apothecary items, shampoo, toothpaste, toothbrushes, laundry powder, it's all natural, but they're consumable goods. And so not only do I think they have a place and need to be accessible in our community, people will run out of them. It's mm -hmm. not like, I don't want you to have your t-shirt for 10 minutes, wear it once and um, it's gone, but there's an intentionality with that other half of my product assortment to keep sales coming. You're always going to need new soap. You're always yep. going to need those things. So um, that is a very vital part of my business because it is a truly consumable item. We just don't sell clothing like they're consumable because I don't believe they are or they should be. And even during the pandemic, those consumable items were our like life raft. So from the use that you've used the word accessibility a couple of times, is that, have you seen an accessibility um, roadblock in our community? Do you see that there are, um, whether it's, uh, whether it's pricing, whether it's education, whether it's, um, you know, not being able to actually physically access the goods. Do you see that there are roadblocks to sustainability in our community? And how how do you see Tara Shepard being a part of the change of that? Yeah, I think uh, no matter how you look at sustainability, whether it's in fashion or everyday lives, um, it assumes a certain level of privilege because the goods are going to be more expensive. Um, and that's a huge issue in this whole movement. Um, and probably a discussion for later, but to help to combat that, we really try to meet our customers where they are in their journey. And maybe that means just starting out with buying a $6 bamboo toothbrush um, and having the an assortment of price points with goods um, to be able to kind of meet people where they are. And we really focus on small changes and not discounting the impact or your ability to have positive impact just by making small changes. And maybe that's just switching over to a biodegradable toothbrush or dental floss or package-free soap. Um, so there's also an intentionality in those wide a range of price points too, to try to just meet people where they are. Uh, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to put myself in the mindset of <clears throat> where, what would be the best way to go forward with something like this? Um, Cause you know, no, no business is 
a bad idea or, you know, anything like that. It's basically, I basically break it down to, you can pretty much make about anything work. It just comes down to execution. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of execution, you know, unfortunately just falls under the umbrella of marketing. Um, how you market something is how successful something is going to be. It's just, just the way it is. If people don't understand your story or the why you're there doing what you're doing or what you're selling or why they should buy it. Well, then they're just not, they're just simply not going to stop in and buy it. Like people just don't, we're well past the era, especially this time of year where someone's just going to walk down the street and be like, you know what? I've got an extra 50 bucks on me. I'm just going to pop in and just spend $50 at this random ass store that I don't know anything about. Like just, it just, can it happen? Yes. But does it happen enough to have a sustainable business? No. Um, not only that, but like you're competing with all the other boutiques and every other store that's on on Phillips, which on Phillips just alone, there's probably three boutiques um, just by itself. And um, ones that have establishment and and years of relationships and everything like that. Um, on the on the part of like the fashion and the clothing and everything like that. Mm-hmm. I'm again like just kind of just put it, trying to get into the mindset of like how something like that would not work, but just trying to like think about, think that through um, and think about what would have to be true in order for that to like actually work um, or for someone to, to stop in and, and have enough people stop in to buy enough volume in order for something like that to work um, type of situation. So I'm almost kind of wondering if um, your apothecary side, which I mean, I'm making an assumption is like the soaps and um, toothpaste, toothbrushes, all that kind of stuff. I'm thinking that's going to be probably your foot in the door for anybody who's even just like becoming curious about this kind of thing. And then again, I think it just really comes down to education building and everything like that about um i'm just trying to think about what would be an item of clothing um so let's just say you get 100 people in the store that they buy um soaps and you know whatever else i feel like the the green movement or sustainability movement and everything like that is super easy to get someone in the door for soaps shampoos and everything like that like people i feel like are there's a much wider audience there than there is for like the clothing side of it um, as it stands right now, especially in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Um, but if you were to have those hundred people who regularly come in, buy your stuff, you, you know, they're a pretty engaged audience. How do you now start to educate them about, okay, well, you know, it's great that you're buying sustainable soap, but the soap industry actually pales in comparison to pollution in regards to and when it compares to the fashion industry and here's here's like the number one item that gets thrown away um the number one pollutant of um the fashion industry and maybe it's hanes t-shirts how many hanes t-shirts do you have in your closet right now and then you say like on average the um, the average midwestern american has like a dozen hanes t-shirts that they buy them once a year and then throw them away and then that hanes t-shirt stays in a landfill for 55 years and then, you know, does this, this, and this to the, not only to our local landfills, but then when it's getting produced, it does this, this, and this. And then you start to like, say in comparison, the soap that you bought has this imprint, has this imprint on the environment. The shirt that you buy every single year has this imprint on the, 
on the environment. And then that's a piece where they're already kind of sort of bought into 